Hello and welcome to another episode of The Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, as always, Alex, and with me I have Logan. How are you, Logan? Doing well, thanks, Alex. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah, good to be here. Um, it's a shame it's not under slightly better circumstances with a win against Huddersfield, but uh, we've sort of come to expect these things with City this season. Um, it was a, a 2-0 defeat to Huddersfield uh, on the weekend, which we will discuss for the episode. And then we've also got the... Massive game against Peterborough tomorrow morning to look forward to before we discuss the Luton game on the weekend. Um, I guess starting with the Huddersfield game, I guess biggest surprise or biggest lack of surprise, I guess, around the change of formation back to the 4-3-3. How, how did you feel when you saw the formation and the, the lineup announced um, before the game? Yeah, look, I, I, I answer this one hesitantly only because, you know, we... Uh, as fans, we've become, you know, probably uber critical and think that, you know, we know everything there is to know about football. And I guess that, you know, coming at it from a standpoint, whereas I don't pretend that, you know, I know more than Grant McCann or, or any of the, the city coaching staff about what is the right formation and, and what the game plan specifically was that they had to, to take on Huddersfield. But, I mean, fr- from a fan's perspective, you know, we, we only have to, to look at, two weeks prior before the international break week and look at the way we played against Middlesbrough. And it was, by all accounts, it was the most free-flowing and, uh, I guess, correct uh, way we've seen City play. They seemed to really suit the formation. The the players looked comfortable. And we obviously ended up getting a very, very crucial three points. So to, you know, I I know we're all away from home and all the rest of it, but to to change the formation and to, um, I guess, then be making some pretty interesting comments about how it's a private matter uh, straight after. Uh, it, it doesn't really do anything to galvanise the city city faithful, particularly in the the manner that we went on and lost the game 2 0. So, yeah, look, uh, leaves a lot to the imagination, that's for sure. And, um, you know, I think the, the result, we, we kind of got what we deserved. Yeah, the title of this episode is The Private Matters of Undone City, and, and it seems to be the case. I, I guess the biggest frustration, for, and, I, and I completely accept the point as well, that, you know, we aren't football managers and that there's probably a lot more to it than a simple, um, oh, we'll go with this formation. It's, you know, they've probably looked at the Huddersfield team and they've probably made that call. But you, I can't help but look at, I, I think it was um, Deshaun Bernard made comments during the week that he thought the three five two formation suited them really well. It gave them a bit more security down back. Um you know, the players seem to buy into it. It, it got us the result. Um, even even looking outside of the formation, the fact that Emmanuel went out of the side for Coyle um, when Emmanuel had, had quite a good game, I thought. Um, it was just, yeah, it was very confusing to see the reversion to the 4-3-3. And I think Dan and I spoke last week before the international break, or sorry, just after the international break, about how it was actually a positive that we'd had the international break. It might have given the players a bit more time to to get to know the alternate formation to play around with the three five two a bit more and, and see how it would fit in with the players. Um, so it, it was just a bit confusing to just go straight back to the four three three. And I think even the, the Huddersfield manager commented after the game saying, you know, he was a bit surprised at the way we lined up because it seemed as if the three five two had worked much better for us. Um, maybe they were trying to surprise him by going back to the four three three. I don't know, but um, uh, you know, regardless, it was um, a bit of a disappointing performance in the end, um, considering the way we played against Middlesbrough. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was kind of spearheaded by that the first goal that we conceded, I think only nine minutes in, uh, an incredibly sloppy goal uh, to concede. And I mean, there's there's always an argument where if you're going to concede a goal, it's probably best to concede early and then 
play your way back into the match as opposed to, you know, suffering a, a last minute defeat. But uh, I just, I kind of got the feeling that the moment they Huddersfield got that early breakthrough and particularly the fashion that it came in, you always knew that we we're going to be chasing our tails. And even though there were some really open passages and arguably we, we could have found ourselves, you know, level many times that was, the game was kind of there to be had. Um, it just it left that real bitter taste in your mouth, didn't it? That we conceded so softly after exactly what, you know, you and Dan were speaking about. The fact that we'd had a great result against Middlesbrough, you had the, the break week uh, and, um, you know, the international break and thought that, if anything, that's as good as time uh, time as ever to kind of, you know, get get the cogs ticking over again and, and play build a bit of momentum, but just never was to be. Yeah, nine goals conceded from set pieces. I think the next worst in the league is six conceded. Um, I think Huddersfield have scored the most from set pieces as well. So it sort of seemed to stand to reason that they were going to score a set piece against us. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm in a bit of two minds about the, the goal itself. I felt like Ingram could have done a lot better with the clearance, um, with the punch. Um, but it also felt like there was, you know, a whole lot of players falling over at the back post there and whether there's a foul to be picked out either way, potentially. It just... Seemed sort of an interesting decision just to let things run and, and of course, ended up with them scrambling the ball across the line. And, and as you said, I mean, it did feel like after that point it was really difficult to see us getting back into the game. And, um, you know, they did get that second, argue, you know, uh, not arguably, but um, certainly fantastic goal to, to seal the game in the second half. But um, by then it was far too late for us. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling to, to sort of think of any clear moments of uh, danger or, or chances that were created in the game. I think Honeyman... At one point, was it he? He played um, coil in, or he played someone in with a really great ball through the in, into the box, kind of cutting behind the defence, which was great to see. Um, I thought Elder was was reasonably good and and, and challenging on the left hand side, but you know, not many big moments stood out for me in our performance. Yeah, it just it, it doesn't seem to be ticking. Certainly in the midfield, like our, our general control of of play doesn't seem to be there. And even when we do get, you know, I dare say, good attacking opportunities we're finding them really hard to come by. Like the actual creating of the chances um, seems to be, uh, um, you know, not as, not as fluent. I, I know that we've, we've obviously taken the step up from league one, but just when we do have the ball, there doesn't seem to be enough, enough respect of possession. And then when we do lose it, we seem to just be, you know, scoundreling trying to jump over each other and we look very disorganized. Um, and I guess we're kind of, the question that I just keep coming back to is, you know, when we fall behind in a game, you wonder who's going to kind of pop up and score. Like we we, we do have this this real sense of um, you know concern in the team at the moment that we're we're finding goals hard to come by, and it seems like you know when we do score them, there's a very good chance that we'll get a second or a third. But uh, there's so many times where you know you, the game starts and you kind of just have that feeling that are we even going to put one in in these ninety minutes because we seem to be playing very negative football. I think yeah. that's that's the, the biggest problem, uh, you know, that we can see at the moment. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely something to to be concerned about. I mean, um, I think Smith hasn't managed to score a goal yet, which is probably starting to become a bit of a concern, even just from his point of view of, of his confidence taking a bit of a hit with that. Um, Lewis Potter, Wilkes sort of struggling for goals as well after being so prolific last season. Um, I, you know, and, and one of the big casualties of the three five two was probably Eve, so who I thought was arguably deserving of another start. Um, I think he's had a couple of good games now in a row and then it's about building that momentum for him. And um, by switching to that 3-5-2, you basically, um, 
remove that ability for him to start the game and, and that position for him to play in. So um, it, it's, you know, it's an interesting one. I mean, Doherty came out of the side as well. So we had Cannon, Honeyman and Smallwood in the midfield. I thought Honeyman had a fantastic game or um, I thought he had a positive game. I think that was one of the real silver linings of the display. Um, yeah. But yeah, really struggling for positives out of it. Yeah, and I, and I, I know it's, it's kind of rocks and diamonds with the way Smallwood seems to play, but I still cannot work out how he's, you know, still holding on to the captain's armband and starting week in, week out because he, he looks extremely careless at times and, and frustrated. But there's, you know, everything about Richie Smallwood at the moment seems to kind of symbolise the, the way that we play. You know, he, he seems to lose possession quite frequently. And I don't know if, if I want to necessarily put the blame on him. I think it's probably a, you know, a more widespread issue than just him. But there are players like him, as you mentioned, that, that aren't really, you know, what you would consider pulling their weight, so to speak. And then there's players like Emmanuel and, as you said, Eves, who are incredibly hungry. And, you know, when, when it's not working and you can, you can see the position we find ourselves in, then by all means, then I, f- I feel like we, we have to try and, you know, impress like what else is in, is there in the current squad? Who's not getting game time and, and other opportunities for them to prove themselves? And like you said, I mean, against Middlesbrough, we, we saw that, that Eves and Emmanuel, you know, were two players that really put their hand up. And then to find themselves out of the squad, uh, it just it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Yeah, it, rem- it reminds me. Well, it doesn't remind me, but it makes me cast my mind back to last season when we when we went through that sticky patch in December and we did change the side. We we pulled Emmanuel out and put Coyle in um, as an example of it going the other way. And we went on a winning run and we actually kept the same team and we kept consistency in the side and we kept winning games. And it's just bizarre to me that we've sort of similarly changed things up last game against Middlesbrough, got a positive result and then gone, oh, well, actually, hang on, let's just revert back to what we were doing before that wasn't working. It just doesn't make it just makes me scratch my head quite a bit in terms of what the coaching staff sees or what they're thinking to to do that and it's going to make tomorrow morning's game really fascinating to see what we do because i think there's gonna be a lot of pressure on the side to to go back to the 352 yeah absolutely and i i think that it's kind of it's almost a double negative in some ways because if mccann doesn't stick with the 352 and he plays the same formation and and we don't get a result well obviously that's going to put a, a a huge gap between him and the fans, which is probably at a time where he can't afford it. And then if he does, uh, you know, play with the, uh, change the system and we lose, then he's in some ways yeah. proven right. So it's, uh, it, it's just it's such an interesting time, which made that comment, particularly about the, you know, being a private issue, even all the more concerning. Yeah, yeah, and we'll talk a bit more about McGann in a in a little bit, but we'll uh, we'll first get your three to one votes for this game if you were able to find three players to pull out and give a bit of praise to, uh, and then we'll talk a bit more about McCann. Yeah, look, I I would have to side with you. I think you kind of touched on it before that I, I feel like we're a better side when Honeyman's in it, and I thought that some of the build up play that that he was um, you know producing. He just gave me this sense of if anybody's going to be a spark, it's it's him. I actually, I, I'm continually impressed by Cannon. I think that if he gets a little bit more time and um, you know really starts to kind of build in, in confidence and get used to the players around him, I think he's going to be quite the find. So I gave my three points to Honeyman. I gave two points to um, to Cannon and uh, one point to Callum Elder. Um, that was that was kind of what I what I thought. I actually thought Ingram didn't have a bad game except for the the punch that you know. Mm. That was mistimed or or interfered with, depending on what side of the fence you sit. But yeah, that, that's probably how I would I would have gone. 
Yeah, it was interesting because I was also thinking about Ingram and then just I just couldn't give him a vote for the way that that goal was conceded. So um, he just missed out for me. But yeah, I, I was impressed with the Elders game. I, I actually gave him the three votes. I thought he was particularly yeah. solid on the left-hand side. He, he's, he's one of those players who he goes under the radar so much with the chances he creates and the uh, ability to shut down the opposition as well. But considering we're not scoring goals at the moment, it makes it really tough to to see those chances convert or to see that see those crosses or corners and opportunities, those throw-ins um, really capitalised on. So, um, yeah, look, he, he probably stood out for me. But and, then, as you probably, said... And probably even worth noting as well, is he was away in Japan on um, international duty as well during the week. So, uh, you know, to I guess to do that travel, I know that's expected of international footballers, but, um, you know, fair play to him as well that makes the performance even better if you will yeah and you know if anyone's not going to have or sorry if anyone's going to have an excuse for a poor performance it's him so um considering the, the the level of his performance it makes you question what the others were doing over the break um yeah and and i gave honeyman my two votes as well i thought he was really tidy i thought he had a few really good passages of play and passing ability and um seemed to be always on the front foot and trying to create something for us which was great to see and, and it's something that we've we've really lacked in his absence um so it was good to see him back in the side and um, it does make that question about uh, Smallwood's place in the side quite an interesting one because I'd really hope or expect to see tomorrow morning uh, potentially Doherty coming back into the side for Smallwood and, and giving us a bit more mobility in that midfield but uh, or, or, or Smith potentially coming in as well um, would be interesting to see. Um, and then I've given the one vote to Greaves. I thought Greaves had a few chances in that second half where he, you know, he had a couple of headers on goal uh, where he really could have got one in the back of the net and pulled us back into the game. So I thought he had a, a pretty dangerous game for us as well. And um, he's he's sort of, he, he's having a reasonably good season, but I guess um, because we saw it last season as well, it's just sort of come to be expected, but it's good to see him take that step up to the next level and a higher division and um, not not necessarily look out of place. Like I wouldn't necessarily say that he's been one of the, the reasons for us conceding goals. Um, maybe it's more about the system, but it, it, it it is a funny one. It, it sort of reminds me of the season that we got relegated from the Premier League where you look at that back four and you think it's not a bad back four and yet we're conceding so many goals and I just can't understand how it happens. So whether it's the system, whether it's confidence, whether it's communication, I don't know what it is because the individual players, when you look at them, you look at Coyle, you look at uh, Elder, you look at Greaves, you look at Jones or Bernard, they're all really solid players and I, I can't really fault any of them on their season so far and yet we're sort of conceding poor goals it's it's yeah it's a tough one yeah and I, I think that comes back to what we we're talking about before with just the there doesn't seem to be any real synergy between the the way that we set up in our shape with the midfield and the defense i think mm. that it's we've largely see our, our back four or or three scrambling and kind of chasing the ball like, or getting you know we've got situations where we're getting beaten on set piece when you've got uh, a, a attacking player like malik wilkes back uh you know missing headers and losing his man in a contest. So, uh, you know, it does, it leaves a lot, a lot to the imagination. And, and I really do hope that we can sort it out sooner rather than later because set pieces are a huge issue at the moment. Yeah, certainly. Well, look, that's probably a good opportunity to talk about or focus in on uh, Grant McCann, um, which is a really interesting one because I think it was the second or third episode of this season. I was sort of talking about him being able to carve out a legacy at City because he was, you know, he had such a strong win percentage after that season in League One. He, he'd been here for this is what his third season now. 
um, was really starting, you know, after that 4-1 win at Preston, you think, oh, okay, if he can start to get going in the championship, then he could actually turn things around with the supporters, win them back over. Uh, and now we find ourselves here only 10, 11 games later where we're back to the same sort of issues at press conferences where he gets asked a question and he gets very kind of locked down and, and confrontational with um, reporters sort of saying it's a private matter with his coaching staff, which is hugely condescending, I've got to say, to the 200 or so or 2,000 or so city supporters who travelled to Huddersfield to watch us lose 2-0, to, to not even deem to give them any sort of explanation or doesn't it, it's that it's not necessarily a question that's saying oh it's your fault that we lost necessarily it's just saying what was the reasoning or what was the thought process behind switching to the 433 and you could have just said you know it was just a tactical decision it was based on the way Huddersfield set up it was you know the players we had available anything like that but to just say oh it's a private matter was was very competitive and um I guess worrying signs if it's sort of it's a bit reminiscent of that second half of the season when we were relegated uh two seasons ago yeah, it's, it's a very headstrong approach, and I, I totally agree with you. I think that the, the people who probably deserve the biggest explanation were the, the people who travelled to Huddersfield and, you know, watched that performance. And, um, you know, uh, like, obviously it wasn't it wasn't flattering on the eye, but equally, if, if McCann wins that game and then in the press conference, you know, the, the question is, hey, you know, Grant, you reverted back from a, a winning formation. What was the thinking? I'm sure that he would offer that information yeah. very readily and so i think that that's probably the the biggest issue that we have here is it it feels like it's a lack of transparency and it's more the fact that we we want to know the insight like fans are hungry for the thinking behind the team you know we ride the players uh you know successes we we give it to them when they're when they're not succeeding and at the same time like you know where there's people investing their hard-earned money to to get alongside and buy merch and support the the team i do think that there's huge merit with you know giving a, a closer or a closer insight to the fans than than saying it's a private matter i thought you know that was that was a confusing one and it just reminded me straight away of the the klp contract situation yeah you know 12 or 13 months earlier where it was the same kind of um you know dialogue and you're just sort of scratching your head going uh I don't see the merit. I, I'm not sure what he's trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think potentially, well, I mean, it's it's always hard to say, I suppose, with, you know, the, the rumours around the potential takeover, things like that, as well as the poor run of form, do you think it's potentially just the pressure getting to him where it's that that realisation that um, if, if, for example, if the takeover goes through, you'd have to expect that he won't have a future at City going forward. Um, and, and, if, and if the takeover doesn't even go through, if this season does end in a relegation where that sort of leaves him and his sort of ambitions as a manager, there, there must be a lot of pressure on him and, and a lot of things for him to sort of weigh up in, in terms of how the season's starting to pan out. Absolutely. I think I can't imagine any, you know, any job on, on this earth where that level of speculation is, is a comfortable place to work. And, you know, uh, that's probably makes the, uh, the response even more concerning because it is a really good opportunity to kind of, endear yourself to the fans i think if you actually had have gone to the press conference and said you know what in theory i got it wrong then a lot of people would be really buoyed and optimistic about you know the the game against the the posh in the morning because you would be sitting there going you know we, we know what formations are gonna gonna be uh, you know come to fruition we, we we won last time we played this formation and it gives the fans a real hope and, and sense of joy about the the game that they're about to watch but instead because he chose that path if anything now the the daggers are out and 
everybody will be waiting for that, you know, the team lineup to, to yeah. come out at 5.30. I suspect we'll. I suspect we won't be surprised by the uh, the formation in the morning, but we, I guess you know we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. Um, do you, do you sort of see any way back for him now with the supporters, or do you think that do you think the bridges are burned and 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 the support? It's almost like a fool me once, shame on you; fool me twice, shame on me. Situation where I think the supporters, you know, were scorned by him in that championship relegation season, gave him that second chance after the League One promotion, and, and are now probably feeling a bit you know, chances have run out for Grant. It's amazing what three points can do. I probably wouldn't go <laughs> that far. I, I, I totally agree. And I can see that, uh, you know, you can see it on social media. You can see it when you when you chat to, to City fans that the feeling amongst it is that Grant McCann is, you know, skating on thin ice. But uh, everybody knows that that wins can, can, change that, uh, can change that mentality very quickly. And look, I, I think at this point in, in time, it's what everybody wants. I mean, a few, a few three-point, you know, outings, and all of a sudden, you know, we find ourselves back in in the middle of the the championship table. I think that people will be very quick to quick to forgive. Um, I guess the sad reality is that as we sit down after what 10, 11 games, it, it would be a very su- surprising thing to see that with with what we've been watching over the last few weeks. Yeah, I guess we'll see. And look, it is a good point. I, I mean, I was sitting here last week after the, the victory in the three five two formation thinking, oh, okay, well, you know, he's showing a bit of creativity, flexibility, willing to change, see where that leaves us. And um, a week later, sort of attitudes change. So I, I do take the point that a loss can, um, a loss or a win can change the attitude very quickly. Um, well, we'll move on then. We'll we'll go through our triple flashback feature of the week and then we'll go on and look ahead to the two games that we have in store. Um, but we'll start with our uh, quiz question for the week. And um, I think last time you were pretty quick off the mark with a few of the answers. So this one's potentially a little bit tough. It might, might not be too tough for you, but see how you go. Um, the question is, can you name the last three players to finish leading goal scorer? So there will, there will be some players who might have finished top goal scorer for a number of seasons, but I'm after the last three players. Oh, the last three players. Okay. Um, and and uh, we are talking here, City Golden Boot. We're not talking across the leagues, are we? No, just just City. Yeah, yeah, just City City, city leaving scorers. Okay, so I think the obvious one that, that stands out for me is I think Abel Hernandez has to be up there. Uh, he has to be in the three because I don't remember watching a striker as prolific as him um, over the last decade for, for City. So he would probably be um, one, but... The only reason that I'm concerned about saying that is because I know that last year or last season um, we had, uh, and I'm not even sure who ended up winning. I think it was Malik Wilkes got got the most uh, goals for us. But I do know that uh, Magenis came home quite strongly and uh, Ken Lewis Potter wasn't too far off either. So I would probably lock in Wilkes. Um, I would lock in Hernandez and... Outside of that, it would have to be um, obviously Jared Bowen, um, and and then that gives me a, another headache. Is wondering if I don't think Grzycki was ever that prolific. I know that he had a lot to do with goals, but I don't think he ever actually. No, I can definitely rule him out. I'm going to lock in Wilkes, Hernandez, and Bowen. So you've got two out of three there. You were right that Wilkes got it last season, which was good. Um, yep. And Bowen has been our leading goal scorer three seasons in a row, which it was. Uh, Pretty, pretty incredible. So the 17, 18, 18, 19 and 19, 20 seasons with yep. 14, 22, 16, 
I'm going to the, keep my the, th- the, final list. The, the third one was actually Snodgrass in the Premier oh, League season yeah. when he when he scored seven goals. So Hernandez was the leading goal scorer of the season before that. But it was actually Snodgrass in that 16-17 season. He scored seven goals for us, which uh, is a pretty low top goal scorer um, amount. Wilkes got 19 last season as well. So, um, yeah, pretty close to that one. I mean, I, the, the interesting one there is, of course, because Bowen was leading goal scorer for three seasons in a row. It sort of takes you back a little way to, to where it was. And, you know, I mean, Hernandez is a really good shout because that was, you know, obviously that was the season before that and uh, was quite prolific for us as well. And I'm trying to think that um, that that 16-17 season, was he just, he must have been just injured for a fair chunk of it because he, he scored the two goals against Bournemouth under Silva. But, I, yeah. I mean, I guess we had Nias as well. Um, yeah, he was he, Abel Hernandez was out for a long time because I think yeah. part of part of him returning maybe in that Bournemouth game, and I think that was around right. January. It was yeah, it would, it was, have, it would have had to be January or, or late December maybe. Oh yeah, no, so yeah, it probably would have been January. Yeah, so you're probably right. I think he did he, he did see a, a fair bit of time on the sidelines uh, that season. But I just, as I said, I have, I have such fond memories of watching Abel Hernandez score for. For City, and he just he you know he seemed like the most prolific scorer that we've had. But then I guess I, I'm discrediting Bowen because I, I guess I forget how how frequently he found the back of the net as well. Yeah, um, I, I think you know. it was must have been six or seven years ago. The other day, um, our two two draw with Arsenal, where Hernandez got that that goal at the end of the the movement, where it was basically kick off in the second half, and we just passed it around. Arsenal didn't touch the ball, and it ended with Huddleston, I think crossing for Hernandez to head into the back of the net um, to put us up 2-1. So, yeah, good memory. Yeah, it was weird. That first season with Hernandez, he scored so many headers, and then I don't think he got another header for us after that season, um, which is a bit funny. Hmm. Um, But anyway, let's look ahead now to the Peterborough game that we have tomorrow morning, Um, uh, bright and early at, I think, quarter to six in the morning, which is um, slightly better than the 4.45s that we've been used to recently. Um, Familiar to us from last season in the in in League One, coming up with us um, as automatic uh, promotion in in second place, they've uh, they've only got one win in their last five, which was against Birmingham. But they did have a nil nil draw with Bournemouth, which is um, a reasonably impressive result given Bournemouth's form. Um, and we've only won two of our last five games against them, so we won three one in the most recent game last season um, to to see them off. Um, I guess I guess the biggest thing for them as well is that their form away from home has been horrendous. I don't think they've got a single win. They might not even have a single draw away from home this season. Um, so it, it it's as good an opportunity as any if we're going to take it to to get three points on the board against them. But how do you feel about it going into it? Well, I felt better about it until you just read that stat and talked about how horrible their away form is because it's got all the makings for a. A, a strong two to three nil uh, Peterborough victory now. Um, no, look, I think this is this is one of the games that the city will approach with confidence. I think that they actually took a lot of. I know that this is kind of a bit counterintuitive because the result at Huddersfield was a disappointing one, and I know that there's been the international break week, but I think that result against Middlesbrough was a very big shot in the arm for the confidence. And I think getting back to um, getting back to the KCOM or whatever it's called these days, um, the MKM. MKM, uh, yeah, yeah. MKM State. Uh, getting back, getting back on, on home turf I think is going to be a, a crucial crucial thing. I think that it probably does have the makings for, I dare say, McCann to revert to the 3-5-2 system. And 
I think that Fingers just crossed. Given, yeah, <laughs> just given the fact that you know they're a fellow League One promoted team, I think that mentally that does a lot for for the confidence. And I think you'll see a very attacking City in the morning. I, I don't think that they're going to be able to continue to play um, you know this this really loose and, and open. Uh, whatever you can call what they're playing at the moment, I think that there's going to be a lot more impetus and they're going to be very, very keen to get three points here. Um, and it is going to be such a crucial three points. I, I think when we talk about the pressure that's currently being heaped on Grant McCann, three points in the morning goes a long way. But if we lose this game, um, it is going to be a, a very much a, um, a pitchfork brigade. Um, and I think McCann will find himself in a, in a real um, spot of trouble. Yeah, I, I just keep thinking about because I look at, I think it's Barnsley who are below us on the table um, and, and the fact that their manager is also under severe pressure and, and likely to be sacked soon. And I think Cardiff's in a similar position, maybe a place or two above us in the table. Um, and I look at those clubs and and just the the small amount of ambition or, or sort of courage that they're showing in saying, let's try and make a change. You look at Nottingham Forest bringing in Steve Cooper and, and how they've charged up the table. Um I look back at when we had Leonard Slutsky in charge or, I mean, Nigel Adkins wasn't really sacked, but he, he sort of left after a spell. Um, we, we see, you know, we, we took, we, we, we sacked Slutsky when we weren't getting results and tried to change things around. And Adkins came in and tightened us up and we, we kind of ended up finishing mid table that season. Um, it just, it just baffles me that there's been this sort of change in mentality where Grant is sort of, um, sort of excused of any sort of poor form, poor results, anything, um, was able to take us down and bring us back up, granted. But you would now sort of think that in, in any other club, a loss to Peterborough would see the manager under severe pressure, but I just can't see any sort of a pressure or action taken against McCann if there was to be a defeat, which which just seems sort of disappointing. I mean, I, I can't imagine how the players would sort of think about it where it just shows kind of a lack of ambition from the owners. Yeah, I, I believe that's probably a good point, but I think given the uncertainty around what's happening with the club sale and you know the I guess the the very clear lack of investment or willingness to invest from the from the management, it's it's more of a, a concept of who would they go and get, who is available, um, you know that is going to be a level up from Grant McCann. I, I just I just don't know if there's that many managers out there. Um, I mean, my hope and and uh, and what I'm I'm crossing my fingers and toes for is that the time they run perfectly and, and it coincides with Steve Bruce's sacking from Newcastle. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that last week, actually. It was, uh, you know, stars are sort of lining up for that to happen. I would think, um, you know, Bruce, Bruce leaves Newcastle, new owners come in here, reunion at Hull takes us back up next season. Oh, it's all sort of written in the stars, but um, it would be very romantic. It would, it would. Um, yeah. So no, it will be interesting. Um, do you what are your senses of any potential changes to the lineup for this side? Um, we sort of already talked about Smallwood potentially going out of the side. Would you would you see a change up top? Would you put Eves in over Smith, something like that, or how do you see I, it? I don't think you're going to see Tom Eves start. I think that maybe Tom Eves might have a, a strong role. He may he may get a, a turn kind of earlier in the second half. You might see him come on about the 50th minute or, or so, depending on obviously game script what's actually happening. I think there's a or, very or strong Magenis even or Magenis. Absolutely. I, I do think that there's a very, very strong case for Josh Emanuel to start, though, particularly mm. if, um, you know, if, if we do play the 3-5-2 that, uh, that we're hoping and uh, potentially expecting. Um, and, yeah, I, I definitely see Emanuel finding a way into that into that lineup 
tomorrow. But I, I would, I'd be very surprised if um, when the team sheet gets announced, Tom Eves is, is ready to go for the full 90. And I think Tom Huddleston should be fit now as well. So I wonder if he's another option that we might look at in that midfield. Yeah, I think I think Tom Huddleston is close. And I think that if that were the case, if Tom Huddleston's close, uh, same kind of deal. Uh, I'd be surprised to see him start um, unless he kind of played the first half. But uh, you're just looking at the how disorganised we seem to be. We're just crying out for, for Huddleston to get back, get fit and really take some, you know, control and ownership of of that middle park, uh, middle part of the park because we need that direction and we know that his long passing game can can bring. Yeah, it's no coincidence that we've kept two clean sheets in the two games he started. I think his ability to control that midfield is uh, very valuable. Um, how are you feeling in, in terms of a result? Are you confident that we can get the three points? Do you think it might be a case of another draw like against Blackpool or how are you feeling? I think it's going to be a very similar game to Middlesbrough. I, I get the feeling that we will kind of chip away and I think you'll see us weather a bit of a storm and I think there'll be a real ebb and flow to the game. But then I think late on we'll, we'll probably get a breakthrough and I think once we get that breakthrough, um, I would likely to see a, a second and potentially third third goal. Yeah. Um, you know, Assuming we can keep things tight at the back, I've, I've got a very good feeling about this and I think it's a game that City have to win and, and nobody knows that more than them. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, big game, big, big game. Um, we also faced Luton Town this weekend, um, who we have a reasonable record against. I think we've won three of our last five against them. Um, I think the most recent win was back in September of that uh, relegation year where Kevin Stewart might have scored that. I think he might have got two goals in the game from memory. Um, he, he scored one that sort of bundled across the line anyway. Um I guess the interesting element of this game is the reunion with Reese Burke, who I sort of noticed hasn't been starting for Luton recently. I think he's been sat on the bench, so not 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 injured, just not really in the side. Um, but you know, Luton Town traveling pretty well. I think they've got three win. Uh, sorry, they've got two wins in their last five. Um, they had a draw with Derby this morning. I think they were losing two one and, and got a pretty late goal in that one. Um, but I mean, I guess Derby's been having a, a pretty decent season in the end after expectations of a pretty poor one. Um, but Luton travelling reasonably well. It's going to be a tough game in that one as well. Um, seems to be, you know, I, I sort of put them in the same bracket as maybe a Millwall or, or a, a Reading or someone like that who, so it's, it's a tough game, but it's certainly a game that we shouldn't be too overawed by. Absolutely. And I mean, we talk about, you know, turning it round. I think that this is a, a, a two-game patch the better than ever for us to, to kind of be able to fix it. If, you know, if you get six points in the next kind of, three days, um, it, things look very different. And all of a sudden, the picture for McCann and all of the kind of hypotheticals that we've been talking about somewhat get thrown out the window. Uh, also, probably worth highlighting as well is uh, Luton Town is a return for uh, George Moncur uh, as well. Of course, yeah. His, his old hunting ground. But I, I actually do have very fond memories from that uh, the 3-0 victory um, at, at Luton Town, I feel that was a just one of those really odd games, and as you said, that Stuart goal is is kind of hard to forget just because of the the manner that it happened in. So, um, yeah, I think w- we can be very optimistic about about this game. Um, and yeah, look, that's six points. I, I know that even just saying it out loud, the thought of it, um, you know, does fill us with a lot of hope. And what a fantastic uh, time it would be to you know get on the podcast next week and be talking about City being clawing their way back up into into the middle of the table. Yeah, look, at, and it's a good shout on Moncur. I mean, he's he's sort of a forgotten man in a sense, didn't get on the pitch, I don't think, um, against Huddersfield. So it would be interesting to see if it's sort of 
that strategy of letting him start the game and, and really show that he's got a point to prove against them uh, could really work in our favour. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's going to be an interesting two games. I think there's there's a lot that can come out of it. I think this is sort of our, our sliding doors moment because, as you say, you know, we, we got the draw against Blackpool and the win against Borough and then the loss against Huddersfield. Mm-hmm. You know, if we get three or four points or, or six points out of these next two games, suddenly that, that Huddersfield game is just a blip and it's actually a pretty start, you know, it's a strong run of form. But if it's a loss or two losses, then suddenly it's, you know, we're right back in the doldrums and um, it's, it'd be really tough to sort of climb out of considering the losses are coming against, you know, Peterborough who, who are right below us in the table. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that that's the greatest, you know, uh, picture that you've painted is is knowing that the teams that we're playing are absolutely teams that we have to be winning against. We're not asking for the big big trip to knocking off the the relegated Premier League teams or anything like that. It's it's definitely the teams that we expect to be dealing with uh, come the middle of next year when we're trying to hopefully avoid um, you know demotion back to League One. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be a big game starting with uh, tomorrow morning against Peterborough, uh, which we'll be getting up for and looking forward to. So I'll. Uh, I'll sort of head off now so I can get a bit of sleep before the game. Uh, it's only, what, uh, 10 hours away or something? My maths is horrible. Yeah, 10 hours away. So it'll be um, a lot of fun to look forward to. So thanks for joining me for this episode, Logan. No worries, Alex. And uh, one one question for you before you go. We're, we're so used to players coming and returning to, uh, to Hull and, and scoring the winners for their clubs. Can it happen at Luton Town on Saturday? Can George Moncur be that man and get his first goal for the club and uh, and capture a, a famous three points. Yeah, well, hopefully it's him and it's not Burke who's scoring the goal. <laughs> uh, returning yeah. against this former club, yeah, hopefully it's Monker getting the winner for us would be fantastic. So we've got a lot, lot, lot to look forward to this week and we'll be back next week to cover all the action. But until then, come on, City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black. This is on fire. We're going higher and higher. There's no turning back, cause you're out.